prodigal, welcome to our New Year's Eve service. We had an incredible service last Sunday on Christmas Eve. It was so good to celebrate together with all of you. We hope you all had an amazing Christmas with your families and loved ones. Starting in January, Pastor John will be leading us through a new series, In Sync, where we will discover what it looks like to stay in step with the Spirit. And because we're prodigal, we can be sure we'll be running with the 90s vibe and wordplay here. We can't wait. Today is the last day to give towards our year-end giving push or to have your contributions count for 2023. So if you'd like to give, you can do so on our app, our website, or at the boxes or kiosks in the lobby. We're so grateful for your generosity. We keep our calendar updated on our app, and it's the best way to know all about what's happening here at Prodigal. So make sure you download it to your phone. It's been an amazing year here at Prodigal, and we can't wait to walk through 2024 with you. Have a great Sunday, and Happy New Year, Church. Hey Prodigal, I hope and trust that you had a great Christmas filled with love, joy, and amazing food. My family and I, we had a great Christmas as well. So great that I didn't come into work today. Uh, we are on vacation and you are in for a real treat. Today at Prodigal Church, Pastor Brad Isaac will be speaking. I've known Brad for six years. He's a great guy, he's a great dad, and he's a fantastic communicator. Many of you already know him because he has been on staff with us for several years. And it's so great to have him and his family back for this one Sunday. Would you please give a warm Prodigal Church welcome to Pastor Brad Isaac. All right, well, good morning, Prodigal Church. As you may know, my name is Brad Isaac, and back in 2018, I had the opportunity to join the pastoral staff here at Prodigal. And during the couple of years that I was part of this team, so much life happened to me. It was here at Prodigal that I became a dad for the first time. It was here that I finished my seminary studies. And it was with great people like all of you that I got to be part of this weird vision of a church modeling itself after a Jesus story where people from religious backgrounds and rebellious backgrounds both find their way back home to the embrace of a loving God. And so, uh, you know, in the Bible, there's this dude named St. Paul, and whenever he would look back and write to these communities that he'd been part of, these Jesus followers, he would write things like this. Every time I think of you, I thank God for you. And to me, that just gets at how I feel about all of you. So thank you for inviting me back today. There's so much to share and too much to catch up on. So I figured I would just kind of pick a, a moment from this year that I've been reflecting on a lot as the calendar year comes to a close. And see, this year over spring break, my youth group at a sister church, which is just down Barstow here in Fresno, we'd arranged to spend several days learning and serving the city of Fresno with a ton of partner organizations. So we were going to all of these different neighborhoods around the city of Fresno, like Lowell and Robinson and Hidalgo, and we were learning about the needs and the work that was being done in those communities, these great things that God is doing. And so like on the one hand, we're helping a little bit. We're weeding community gardens and we're picking up trash and we're hanging with kids at a boys and girls club, but really, we were getting an update on how the city is encountering some huge problems. 
big problems with addictions and housing crises and the results of these historic practices of redlining and racism that are part of our city's story. And so the result was that we were experiencing this noticeable gap between the tiny tasks we were doing and the hugeness of the problems we were confronted with. At no time was this contrast more evident than when I was walking with students along this busy street that is known for being a corridor of prostitution and sex trafficking. And we're there with this great organization called the Central Valley Justice Coalition. I know some of you are aware of their work. And we had been sent out down the street with chalk and these painted rocks, little stones that we had decorated and were instructed to place along the sidewalk that sex workers regularly walk down. And then with the chalk, we were invited to get down on that sidewalk to pray and to write encouraging messages and words of hope that were meant for these women to see, women that are regularly catcalled and objectified and solicited. And so there we were on a street corner that just hours before we'd seen prostitutes working. And these students were great. Like, they went for it. I'm no Banksy, right? But they got artsy with it. And there's this crazy traffic, though, that's zooming by us uh, as we're, we're writing things and scrawling. And there are people staring. And after a while, you begin to feel a little bit crazy. But we embrace it and we write things like you see on the screen. And carrying a bucket of chalk a kind of childhood play object into a public square to confront the systemics of evil uh, sex trafficking, to me, I'll be honest, it felt a bit small, a bit underwhelming, a bit like, this is cute, but what good is it really going to do? But that night when the last student had gotten dropped off and as I was driving home alone, these words came to mind. Who dares despise the day of humble beginnings. Who dares despise the day of humble beginnings? I tried to remember where I'd heard that. Looked it up, and it turns out it comes from the prophet Zechariah. The actual verse from the Bible in one translation reads like this. Who dares despise the day of small things? Or like this. Do not despise the day of small beginnings. Why? For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Friends, I am here on the eve of a new year, on what is one of the most aspirational days for many with all these new resolutions, and for members of my generation, one of the most cynical days of the year, where we create memes poking fun at all of these new me, uh, new year, new me mantras. I am here to talk to you today about the importance of not overlooking small beginnings. And to get at this, I'd like to start first by considering the feeling of being overlooked. I have to tell you, I hate being overlooked at stuff I'm good at, that I care about. For example, if I am picked last for a game of pickup basketball, I don't really care. Why? Because I'm not that good at basketball. So if I'm picked last, I'm like, hey, you know, fair enough. Uh, astute judgment to both the respective captains. I know my place, but let's say that I am in a group project at school or something, and uh, let's say that we have to give a group presentation at the end of this project, and my teammates do not pick me as one of the two people to go up and present, well, then I'm like, come on, what are you, what are you talking about? Why? Because I know I can do that. I know that I could kill it at that. 
when we have something to offer and other people don't see it, bro, like don't even get me started. It's so frustrating. Some of us know what it is like uh, when our work and effort are overlooked. We put all our effort into this thing. Maybe it was a Christmas card and you got all the matching outfits and you took the photo at the scenic spot and you edited it and you send it out and it's like no one even opened it. Or maybe there's a boss or a teacher or a friend group in your life who you feel overlooked by. Like maybe you're actually putting in the work to improve and they're not even checking on you anymore because they just assume you can't do that thing anyways. See, we all hate to be overlooked, but the truth is this, we also overlook others. One of my favorite stories in sports right now is Steph Curry's. And personally, I'm not a Warriors fan, but he's a fascinating dude. And I remember when Golden State had drafted him, one of my friends who was a pastor went to one of the Warriors games and ran into Steph Curry in the parking lot. Like apparently Steph Curry had my friend pray for him. So I've always been sort of rooting for this guy. And while some of you are young as basketball fans, uh, and you only remember the great Steph, who he is today. A while back, there was a podcast earlier this year, former NBA players, smart dudes, Richard Jefferson, JJ Reddick, and they tell the Steph story from the players' perspective. And the way that they tell it, while everyone would like to see, oh yeah, I knew he'd be great, I knew it was coming, they keep it real and they say the truth is, nobody saw it coming. Not even after she was great in college. There's these amazing March Madness high highlights you can go and YouTube them. But critics said he did go to kind of a smaller school at Davidson. And there were always concerns about his size, that he was too small. And he had this weird play style where he turned the ball over too much. And he had these ankles uh, that they were worried had some injury concerns. And then there were people who straight up didn't like him for oddly personal reasons. And they brought his wife into it. There's all sorts of weird stuff. But at the end of the day, the Steph Curry story continues to fascinate people because the truth is no one saw this MVP NBA champion coming. And returning to that verse that commanded my attention, we find behind it another easily overlooked figure. Uh, the author of those words is this young messenger of God who was tasked with writing in a period of history when God's people were rebuilding the temple. It had been destroyed. And that project was being led by a dude named, get this, Zerubbabel, all right? Well, in that time, God's people were all waiting and hoping and wishing for a return to glory, to the good old days when God's presence with them was obvious. And this dude named Zechariah, whose name literally means God remembers, Yahweh remembers, is visited by an angel who comes to him with a vision and a message on the very day that the new temple is rebuilt but the people are disappointed with the result. The temple turns out to not be all they'd hoped it would be. It's not all that it had been hyped up to be. The prophets had all been talking for decades about this day of the Lord, day of the Lord that was coming. But on this day, all people can see in actuality is a day of small things that they're dissing. And at this moment, we find God's people at risk of overlooking the importance of this project that God has given them when the angel comes to young Zechariah with these words. Zechariah chapter 4, beginning in the 6th verse. So an angel said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. 
He will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who dares despise the day of small things? Since the seven eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth and will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. Okay, now there's a lot going on in this text that's confusing and mysterious or technical and historical. It's a difficult passage, but because I know you all are a smart group, I want to show you something cool that's going on with a couple of nerdy details. Go with me on this. Zechariah here mentions two construction terms, a capstone and a plumb line. You're going to know what both objects are, even if you don't recognize them in those terms. A capstone was the final stone placed at the top of a constructed building. Anyone ever heard of a capstone project? Uh, for some academic programs or degrees like one that I was in, your final task uh, is to complete this capstone project. A project that builds on all your courses and learning and training that you've had in this program with this grand finale of a massive paper or assignment of some sort. And in Zechariah's vision, he sees that one day, God's people will have a change of heart. That they will see the capstone of their building project brought out by Zerubbabel, and everyone will rejoice at the project's completion, yelling, God bless it, God bless it, God bless the capstone, hip hip hooray. It's a nice encouraging picture. What you started will be completed. But curiously, in Zechariah's vision, he looks again, he double takes, and now he sees Zerubbabel holding something else. There's some different translation possibilities, but it may be that in Zerubbabel's hand is now a different kind of stone called, you guessed it, a plumb line. Many of you will be familiar uh, with the tool that we today call a measure or, or a level. You know that ruler looking thing with the little bubble uh, that moves up and down in the middle? You've held one before, maybe you put it on a picture frame or on a doorpost to make sure that everything is properly aligned and that you were good to continue building. Yeah, I know some people now have uh, apps on their phones apparently, which uh, now serve this purpose and you can mercilessly mock however I've hung the picture frames in my living room. But Okay, so in the ancient world, in order to do that, you would need a plumb line which would use the force of gravity in this little hanging rock contraption for the same function of testing the balance or correct angle of something. Why am I telling you all this? Well, because, well, the people would get excited to see the capstone being carried out. And that's when they recognize the blessing. Zechariah tells us that God rejoiced to see the plumb line, to see the tool in the builder's hand, which means that maybe from God's point of view, there is something worth rejoicing about, not just in the completion of the project, but in the process of construction. That while most of us uh, will wait until someone's graduation to applaud, God is cheering them on when they're learning in the classroom. That while some of us hit the gym uh, this week and we're going to be looking for big gains and goals to post, God applauds the first tiny dumbbell that we raise. That while everyone raises a glass to toast grandma and grandpa's golden 50th wedding anniversary, God's been cheering them on since they were in couples counseling that no one else saw. Why? Because God doesn't look down on small beginnings. The trouble is, you and I often do. Let me run through these. Here are four ways that we today despise, look down on small 
beginnings. Four ways of thinking, messages we tell ourselves or that we hear from others that we let sway us away from starting new things and making small changes. Let's see how many of these you're familiar with at home. First message, it won't make any difference. Problem is too big. This is what I heard students struggling with during our spring break trip. Like, yo, Pastor Brad, we're gonna pick up this litter today and then tomorrow it'll just be here again. It's what I felt like riding with chalk on sidewalk for the first time since I was a kid to somehow calm that human trafficking. If I try, I'll just be disappointed again. That's another message we tell ourselves. Here, with the second excuse, it's often our own previous experiences of failure or our experiences of others having let us down that keeps us from beginning. Or else some of us think this. Some of us think, if I were to begin this new thing, I'm going to be the only one. I'd be alone. No one else gets the problem. No one else sees what I see. No one else cares as much as me. And this fear of being alone in the work. Trust issues with others. Struggle to trust that God will be with us keeps us inactive. Or finally, for some of us, we think it's not worth it. We like the idea, but we don't want to do the work. We like the concept, but we're not willing to take the risk or to put our time and energy and sweat and reputation into starting this new thing rather than just going with a more obvious choice. But you know, the greatest selling novel of all time started in the smallest possible way. According to the great imaginative genius J.R.R. Tolkien, near the end of his life, he was always being asked about how his books came to be. And in one letter, he wrote this. On a blank leaf of paper I scrawled, in a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. I did not know why. In fact, he says elsewhere, he did not even know what a hobbit was at the time, like many of you listening right now. And yet that sentence became the first phrase of The Hobbit, which would become The Lord of the Rings, the greatest book and bestseller ever, which gave rise to the films that won a record number of awards that gave rise to a subpar Amazon series. And what I love about this is not just the contrast between a small beginning and these grand results, but I also love that Tolkien admits he did not even know at the time why he did what he did. You know, when I look back on the most significant beginnings in my own life, Many of them didn't seem all that memorable in the moment. Nothing special. I think back to the first time, in a small gesture, nervously, reaching out my hand to hold the hand of the girl who would become my wife. It was a small move, but to this day, now I can still remember the drive. I can still remember the song that was on the moment it all began. Every time we touch, I get the feeling, and every time we kiss, I swear I could die. I think back to that song all the time, but in the moment, it just seemed like another song in the playlist. Fast forward a few years, when my wife and I were first working together in a church setting, our very first project as a married couple was to start a vacation Bible school for neighborhood kids. And so we got all the things, decorations, snacks, pressed our family members to volunteer, and on the first day, we opened the doors, we turned on the music, and we got precisely zero kids. Not one. But a couple of years later, we hadn't failed to continue showing up, and that ministry had grown to 50 kids. We pulled a couple of the oldest ones out, 
and started a youth group. How? By getting $2 burritos during Taco Bell happy hour, because that was all the funding that I had with as many kids who I could fit into my 1990 Toyota Camry with its rebuilt transmission. Small beginnings. And it's not just me. When I took the job at the church I'm working with, now I'd heard it was going to be this small group, but there was this one kid who everyone said I was really going to like. Problem was, six months into the job, he had never shown up to anything that I had organized. Till one day, I get a call that he had just broken his leg. And he's an athlete, rugby, football guy. John knows the type, so he's, he's devastated. And I remember I go to his grandma's apartment for the first time, I get the address, I knock on the door, and she, she's excited to see me. So she immediately brings me back to his room. And we walk in, and I'll never forget, here is this huge kid sitting there with this big old cast on his leg, which is all upright, and behind him is this TV screen, an Xbox, that is like all smashed and disheveled because apparently he'd rage smashed it after the injury. And I remember looking at him for the first time and he's sitting there in his boxers. And I'm like, uh, hey bro, I'm Pastor Brad. Sorry about your leg. And he's like, thanks. And I remember in the moment, it was so awkward, I gave him a Starbucks gift card. I, I don't know how that would help him in his recovery, I don't know. It was so awkward, and I remember walking out of that apartment that day feeling so small and so dumb. Fast forward three years later, and that kid is a student leader in our group. He got baptized this year. His dad got baptized this year. And I can look around our youth room and point to student after student who I met through him because he brought his homie, who brought his girlfriend, who brought her cousin, who brought her teammates, this spider web of relationships that can be traced back to this awkward first impression and small beginning, which he and I can now laugh about. Again, here's the point of all this. Often, we don't get to know in advance what the pivotal moments of our life will be. So we have to be on guard to not overlook the small beginnings because Zechariah is confident of this, that the God of big plans starts with small beginnings. I regularly tell the young people that I work with, often the first step is the hardest. The first step out the door, the first time that you bring up that thing in your story that you've never talked to anyone about, the first time you reach out for help, the first time that you say, no, I'm not doing that anymore because that's not who I am today. Often the first step is the hardest, but the good news is that showing up is often half the battle. Which reminds me, last week, out of the blue, the director of that anti-trafficking organization from Spring Break hit me up and was like, hey, I got a story for you. So I'm like, hit me with it. She texts me this. Friday night, we did an outreach night on Blank Avenue, connecting with the girls working out there. Our team came upon two young women. We offered them water and then asked if we could pray with them. They said, oh my gosh, are you the ones who left the chalk out here? When we said that yes, that was people who were with us, they said, that was so encouraging. You have no idea, you need to do that again. And then because trust had been built, they shared about themselves with us and asked for prayer and gave us suggestions about how to be a blessing out there. Brad, when opportunity arises, I hope you'll share with the kids that their effort was meaningful. A bucket of chalk, a small gesture, silent 
prayers leading to an opening for the good news and hope of Jesus. Now, did the girls get out of the work that day? No, uh, not yet. Sometimes it's not that simple. But here were seeds and small beginnings. And as Zechariah says, with the power of the living God at work, we don't dare look down on anyone or despise the day of small beginnings. For our Lord loves to see the work begin. Right now, I want to invite us into a moment of prayer. And God, I thank you that you know us and you love us. That you don't uh, care for some of us and leave others of us neglected. That you don't overlook us, God, but that you know what we've tried and where we've failed and where our hearts are. God, thank you for choosing to work with ordinary people like us, like Zechariah and Zerubbabel who have come before us. Spirit, I pray that you would start something new. That this week, for some of us, a beginning could be marked, a new chapter, a new direction in our families' lives. Give us faith, Jesus, to not dismiss or despise or doubt the small beginnings that you are creating in and around us. But may we encourage and speak life and water and protect the new work that you are doing, trusting the outcomes to you, because as your word says, it is not by might, nor by power, but by your spirit.